hopeful that you know about Rubik's Cubes. Do you know about Rubik's Cubes? There are these delightful 3D puzzles. They have a different color on each side, and they actually come in many shapes or sizes. I'm thinking of the traditional primary color Rubik's Cube that has, I believe, nine squares on each side. The goal of the puzzle is to get the same color all on one side. Now, I've never been able to master uh, solving a Rubik's Cube. I suppose it just hasn't mattered very much to me, or else I would have put the practice and the time in to learn how to solve them. I am confident that at least one person in this room is quite proud of solving a Rubik's Cube. I am pretty good at rearranging a Rubik's Cube. I have a lot of practice at messing up a Rubik's Cube. And this is a, a very important skill. Do not take it lightly. Because one day a child will approach you and say, Hey, mix this up for me. And if you don't do it really well, they'll come right back and ask you to do it again. So you want to mix it up really good so that it consumes at least five minutes of their time. As I sat with our gospel this week, the image that came to me was a mixed-up Rubik's Cube. Now, maybe that's because there was one just randomly sitting on my couch all week that, that I promptly picked up and misplaced and so now don't have it here today. But that's the life of a mother. The point is that sometimes something happens in the gospel where we begin to make the connections between what we read and who we are. And it seems to me that something is happening in Nicodemus's life. That he is someone who has put his life together like a puzzle. And he is slowly being rearranged. I want us to have an image of Nicodemus and Jesus sitting in the garden. Can you hold that image? And more than that, I want you to examine it from a place that understands how unusual or complicated the scene is. First of all, it's nighttime. Now, in the Gospel of John, timing is everything. It's 4 o'clock in the afternoon when Andrew becomes a disciple. Jesus dies on the cross at noon. The resurrected Christ appears to the disciples in the evening of the first day of the week. For some reason, in John's gospel, time matters. And this has something to do with revelation, with seeing and knowing and believing. Now, for me personally, it's so much easier to see and to feel certain about something in the middle of the day. I know that with patience and time, because I've been camping and hiking, that my eyes will adjust at night to the dark. But if I am looking for something at night, it is for a very particular reason, or maybe even out of a sense of urgency. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but the people in John's Gospel are usually looking for something. And mainly, they're looking for the Messiah. Over the next four weeks, we're going to hear some of these stories. We start with Nicodemus today. Next week, we will listen in as Jesus and the woman at the well 
have a conversation. Blind Bartimaeus will come to Jesus and ask to be healed. And the sisters of Bethany, Mary and Martha, will wonder about the resurrection. Over time, the gospel will slowly reveal to us the story of God's redemptive work in Jesus, telling us that it is his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. It is his whole being raised up that is God's gift of love to the whole world. Jesus is everything the people are looking for if they will see and believe. So let's begin with Nicodemus. He's a Pharisee, a follower of the law. I assume that Nicodemus believes that righteousness comes from the law, that same Torah law that we all read together and said we would do our best to follow this morning. In other words, the law, Nicodemus, the Pharisees, believed that creation earned its way to God by its ability to follow the law. Now, this may be, and likely is, a huge generalization about Nicodemus, and maybe doesn't represent him at all. But we know that the Gospel of John was written for a community of exiled Jews. And so in this Gospel, we are witnesses of how this community is making sense of their place in God's story. Nicodemus is a caricature of the one who was faithful to Torah and also seeking Christ. So if I might for a moment bring us back to that Rubik's Cube. You see, Nicodemus has solved the puzzle. He's put all the colors in all the right places. He knows how it all fits together. But Jesus, Jesus rearranges Nicodemus. And notice that Nicodemus doesn't begin with a question. He starts with an answer. Well, you must be a teacher, he tells Jesus. As if Jesus needed Nicodemus to tell him who he is. And Nicodemus says, well, no one can do what you do unless they are in the presence of God. This is about Nicodemus. Nicodemus sees something in Jesus that is new and different from what he expects. And he's beginning to believe something about Jesus, but he's not really sure how that fits into his puzzle. But Jesus sees Nicodemus for exactly who he is. And he calls forth out of Nicodemus belief, inviting him to be born again, to see with new eyes. And that is when the questions start. Nicodemus starts getting mixed up, trying to put all the pieces together so that he can solve the puzzle and understand exactly what it is that he needs to do. Now something happens in this gospel story that I almost always forget or don't notice. And I'm so grateful that I've studied this passage before because I keep this note to myself to remind me. That there's a moment in this story when Jesus stops talking to Nicodemus and turns and looks at us. 
It's like the moment in a great TV show when the actor turns to the camera and you know you're about to learn something really important about the story. Jesus turns to us and says, We speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. Jesus is commending to us that we see and that we believe. Here is our witness to Christ. Will we receive this testimony? Will we be rearranged by Christ's witness to himself? This is the central tenet of the gospel. Will we be born again by the ministry of Christ? Now, I imagine that many of us bring into this place, into our worship, into our hearing of scripture and the singing of hymns and our sharing of the table, all kinds of things, including some assumptions about who we are and who Jesus is. Perhaps some of us have some assumptions about what it means to be born again. If you were raised in the Baptist church, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That moment when somebody says to you, and when were you saved? Or maybe you've seen John 3.16 put so beautifully on a poster and held up at a football game or Super Bowl. For God so loved the world. And you've seen it and you've thought, I know what that means. Do we though? I mean, what would it take for us to hear this gospel as if for the very first time? We must be born again, Jesus says. Now, anyone who has witnessed the birth of a child knows how very messy birth, in fact, is. It is vulnerable and strong. It is scary and exciting. It is painful and beautiful. This is the image that the gospel uses to describe what it means to be alive in Jesus. Following Jesus isn't easy, but we are made of and able to do hard things. Following Jesus requires us to be rearranged, to get mixed up by the incarnate word. Our faith in Christ is a miracle. To believe in Jesus is an extraordinary experience. It requires our full humanity, our rationale and our spirit and our emotions, our heart. It also asks us to trust the absolute unknowable, to be supported and guided and directed by God's spirit. We must be willing to be transformed by the gospel, to be a witness to Christ with our whole lives. Following Jesus asks us to be vulnerable and strong for the sake of creation. Following Jesus tells us to carry our cross and to expect miracles. Following Jesus does not protect us from any pain. And it offers us a hope that never dies. If we put our whole trust in the great mysteries of the incarnation and resurrection, 
It will transform our whole lives. And that is the greatest miracle I can imagine. We will come upon Nicodemus again in the Gospel of John, although not in a shared way in worship. But if you read through the whole Gospel, you'll see Nicodemus there in chapter 7 trying to protect Jesus. And then later in chapter 19, as he and Joseph of Arimathea bury Jesus. Now, as I understand it, the Greek word for Nicodemus in the Gospel of John can also be translated as something like, and please forgive me, Greek scholars, anthropomorphous, that is, human. So you see, none of these stories are really about Nicodemus at all. This is our story. God is not done with Nicodemus and God is not done with us. We are not just birth and death. We fall in love and our hearts are broken and we succeed and we fail and we deny God and we claim God. We live a life full of questions and we are searching for answers. And like Nicodemus, the story of our faith is never ending. It just goes from one conversion to another. So take a Rubik's Cube, for example. They come already solved, all the colors in their place. They must be mixed up and rearranged. You see, that's where all the fun is. It's in the messiness of the puzzle. And maybe our lives are a bit similar, miracles from our birth, and yet we must be born again, mixed up, rearranged, made ready to be new again. 